All right, so first of all, obviously, Eric Lee, who is not here right now, but he was two seconds ago. Eric Lee, Greg Thatcher, huge thank you, awesome. They sort of finished up our Summer of Soap. I said something at the beginning of Summer of Soap, and that was I said, in the Luke series, in the Empowered, we've been seeing how the Lord is building line upon line, precept upon precept. And I said, even though we're going to, like the preachers were not told what to preach, and they didn't know what each other was preaching. But what you saw happen was line upon line and precept upon precept. God just kept doing it. He kept building something to where when I preached, Eric, not knowing what I was going to preach, I went over and said, how are you for next week? And he said, that was the intro for my sermon. And then when Eric got done, Greg said, that was the intro for my sermon. <laughs> so this is how God does things. This is who he is and what he does. And I just want to say thank you for being the kind of body that is on this journey. We are just at the beginning of it still, but we're far enough into it to know that what we're doing is so cool, okay? So having said that, thank you very much to the guys. Also, I thought Gary Branson just did a fabulous job. I loved how communal it was and everything else. I hope you got a chance to hear that. But let me say, today, as I was praying about what God wanted me to say, which is how I always do it, we don't have a, we don't go in, not to say that there's anything wrong with planning, there's always a good thing about planning. But I just really trust that the Lord in this church at this point in time, what he's doing is, is that when we get to the time where somebody's going to preach or whatever, they just ask the Lord, what am I supposed to say? I never tell anybody. I don't tell myself. What am I supposed to do? And then God does something. And what he did was he started with a question that I'm going to show you in just two seconds. But as I was looking at it, I went, well, is that part of Empowered? It didn't feel like it. Is that part of uh, Summer of Soap? No, it didn't feel like that. So, but I did go ahead and look through the soap readings just to see whether or not there was something in them, and sure enough, okay, the word is always alive. And so the bottom line is, is I want to show you our reading from Tuesday. Now, we've been in Jeremiah, and as we've learned, Jeremiah is an almost relentless attack by God on people that are not obeying him right? And I mean, it is devastating. It is brutal, and it all came to pass. So it is, it's huge in ways that are, should be learned from, right? So bottom line, right in the middle of this on, and again, this was Tuesday's reading of soap, but I read them all on Monday. Here's what I get to. This little insert in here. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. They've had a lot of bad ones. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is what makes us right with the Lord. That's how you translate that into modern vocabulary. Righteousness, what does that mean? That means being right, doing right, being right with God. So the Lord is the one who makes us right with God. That's what he's saying. And then in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So there's just this little blip and then it's back to, oh my gosh, how terrible we are, right? But I want to say when I saw that, what it felt like was a light at the end of the tunnel. Here's this relentless attack and all of a sudden here's this, look, as bad as it is, it isn't the end. There is something coming that's worth putting your eyes on, paying attention to, walking towards, trusting me. Even though I'm doing something brutal, I'm doing a good thing too, in the midst of, that's what their messages were. 
So the idea is, is that's that, right? God giving us this little light in the, the tunnel. And then on Monday, and again, remember how I read them all in one day, and, but remember that this entire summer, and this is one of the reasons why I love our soaps, so oftentimes the Old Testament and the New Testament will speak to each other. That's why I like doing the one and the other, okay? And so what happened was on Monday, what we read in Philippians 2 was, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. This, is a, this word here is very, very, very difficult to translate. You'll see in other translations, it goes, it's all over the map on how to get it. What it's saying is he gave up his divine attributes. He was infinite. He was spirit only. He was not limited by a body. He was living outside of time. It, all of these things. And what he did was, is that he didn't cling to that. Instead, he laid that aside that he might take the humble position of a slave, which is synonymous with human being. <laughs> that he might take another position entirely than what he actually is. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, when we think about Jesus and the cross, we think that that's the point. And it is. But we think that that's the worst thing that happened to him. And it isn't. The worst thing that happened to him is being spoken about right here. The worst thing that ever happened to him was the separation from God that happened on the cross. When he became separated, those who were separated, us could join him as he reconnected, okay? That's how he brought us back. But in order to understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for us, we really have to understand what this verse is talking about. Because what this verse is talking about is, can you imagine if you were God and you were spirit, you were everywhere, omnipresent, omnipotent, omni-everything, right? And then all of a sudden you gave that up. For what? Well, us. Bad trade. Really, really, really bad trade in the history of trades. Even the Indians in Manhattan made out better. Okay? Do you get it? Bad trade. And yet he did this. And we have to understand the magnitude of what he did for us. Because what it does is it makes us understand how much he loves us. There's only one reason to do a bad trade like that. Because you think the end result is better than what you got. How are we better than what he had? I don't think he's right. But he is. And he did something incredible. Because he loved us. And we can see his love in what he did. See that? If you want to know if God loves you, look at the cross. Look at kenosis, which is the Greek word for this emptying that he did. Look at all of this. This is incredible. So now, remember I told you that I went into this whole sermon at the very beginning when I started praying. What do you want me to say? The first thing he told me was this. Do you love God? That's the message that he put on my heart for us to ask ourselves. Do we love God? Do you love God? God, and I want to say yes, and there's this thought that comes to my mind, 
How can you prove it? God proved it. Kenosis, cross, saving us. What do we do? Popcorn. What do you do? What, what can you do to demonstrate to God, to manifest to God that you love him? What can you do? What's that? Keep his commandments. Awesome. What else? What's that? Tell him. I love that. That's awesome. What else? Tithe. Sure. What's that? Tell others about him. What, what else? Spend time with him. Perfect. Love it. Love others. You see, there's all kinds of things it turns out that we actually can do that show us that we love him. But now I want to show you something. Because this is where we're getting to. Those are all things that we do that manifest that we love him. If you have a cold, you sneeze, right? If you want to say what the wind is, you can see it in the trees. But show me the wind. Capture the wind itself for me. Because you can't. You can't see it. And even though we do know about viruses and so on, there's still this thing of, show me what a cold is. You can't. What you can show me is the symptoms of a cold. So there's something about the essence of a thing versus its manifestation. Show me love without showing me anything that you do. Show me God's love without him coming to the cross for us. Show me your love for him without spending time with him or all the other things that were mentioned. You see it? There's something incredibly importantly different about the essence of something. And let me just take it one more step so that you really get where I'm coming from. I want you to watch this. There's in the Catholic Church right now, there's an Exodus 90. It's a 90-day challenge, Exodus 90. And this, the, the email, the text that I got, actually from Todd Tarbert, and God bless him for this, but he saw that and he said, I really care about God. I really love God. And I really want to get closer to him in my life. I really want to experience him more. And I really want to pour out more of who he is. I want me to decrease and I want him to increase. But as we talked about it, it became clear that even the act of decreasing for most of us becomes its own sort of work. Right? So it's not in the Exodus 90 day, and it wasn't just in our emails. What we we're saying is, is look, you can, you can go about trying to get closer to God by no more TV, no more movies, no more drinking, certainly no more porn or no more anything like that, but no more of the other things that we don't think are such a big deal. And always be praying, always be helping, do a good work every single day. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, when we say that in a Protestant church, immediately everybody says, yeah, that's works, don't do that. Great, show me your love without doing that stuff. Show me how you get closer to God without doing that stuff. Does that stuff produce? Or... You see where we're going here? In fact, let me, let me take it this way. This is a great Labor Day sermon because watch this. How to take the work, the four-letter word, how to take the work out of our walk and still get the job done. How do you take works out of what you do 
and still end up closer to him. So that it wasn't something of your effort. It was something else entirely. Coming from an entirely different place. God's going to show us the entirely different place that we could be coming from that makes all of this incredibly natural, organic, easy, and never works. Even though it has all kinds of leaves blowing and people being helped and time spent with him. See that? So that's where we're going today. I hope that that's a good thing. Mark Headley, I love you. You are awesome. You guys are amazing. I'm so glad that you're back. And you guys are just... I love every part about what you guys do in your life, in your walk with God. So you're the perfect person to pray for this. Lift up the sermon, lift up another church, would you? Lord, holy and beautiful, do not do justice to how wonderful you are. Um, God, thank you for bringing Kurt and Julie home to us. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for freedom over this church. I pray that you would reveal to us the logs in our eyes that keep us from you and give us the courage to let you remove them so that we can really step into life with you. Uh, Lord, I pray for this sermon. I pray that you would bless Kurt, open our ears. And God, I lift up the churches of Houston. I pray that you would Amen. give those people energy, funds, that people would come to know you by your children reaching out to them, Lord. Um, God, it's so big. And, but you can handle it. So I, I lift them up. Amen. Sidebar. In order to make this church an a actual designated place for people to go in case of emergency, there's actually a ton of stuff that you have to do. We've never had the bandwidth to actually pull it off. We've always assumed that if anything ever happened, we would obviously open our doors immediately and just do whatever we had to do. But it would be nice to be prepared. If there's anybody that really has it on their heart to help take that on so that we are a prepared place for people to go, would you let me know or let one of the staff know so that we can start, you can start doing that and what it takes in order to get us there? Would you help us with that? Okay, now, now this idea about works and faith, how to actually get to where you're supposed to be in God and how to do it in a way that doesn't end up, even if it starts well, doesn't end up being difficult. I love what your answer was, spend time with him. I think that's just about as close to the heart of it as you can get. You know, other things come out of that and so on. But, but the idea is, is, do you know that even spending time with him can become a kind of works if you do it in a certain way, right? It just becomes this thing, right, that you have to do. And so now you're checking your box instead of getting to. Something happens in this. They were just funny people. Now, the funny people that we are was manifested way before. Or It's, it's right in the Bible. It's right in the New Testament. You do know that there's this huge debate that goes on in the New Testament between faith and works, right? And in fact, it's manifested right here. What good is it, dear, this is James. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. 
but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how, you, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Just what we've been talking about, right? Now, when he says that, no, do not misunderstand anything else I'm about to say. Some of you have been here long enough to have heard part of this, what I'm talking about. But I want you to understand something. This is... This is godly, this is true, this is good, and I am not coming against it. What I am doing is, is I'm gonna put it in context. You understand? Okay? There's, what he's saying here is true, but he's having an argument with somebody, and he's on the wrong side of the argument, even though what he says is true. Right? Now let me show you the argument. It comes out when he says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. See, he's arguing something. Faith isn't enough. Now, where's that coming from? Well, let me show you. Who is James again? Who is he? Brother of Jesus. Is he a disciple? Why is he the head of the church of Jerusalem? There were like, you know, like 11 disciples and then they picked another one, but you know, there was 11 guys that were the original disciples that could have easily taken that church, right? And in fact, they were in the leadership of the church. Why does James raise up to be the head of the church in Jerusalem? Why? Tell me why. We all know the answer. Why did, he, why did James end up out of, instead of the disciples, <coughs> why did James become the head of the church? Why? Because he's Jesus' brother. That's how we do things. Well, you're Jesus' brother, <laughs> right? You're more important. You're better than, you know something. You know something, something. Even if you're only a half-brother, still, right? You're his brother. So, of course, we would elevate you. Remember when, they, when, when Sammy was told to pick a king? God says, you guys pick by the way you see things, but I pick in an entirely different fashion. So the question then becomes, who's Paul? Now, who is Paul? Well, a lot of things. Here's one thing he is. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in their career. Let me tell you what, he's, what he means by that. He means that the religion of Judaism had become two things. The law and the elders, essentially the rabbinical guys that everybody recognizes having some sort of authority. They had elevated the rabbinical writings to pretty close, if not the same as scripture. What people said about scripture, certain people, became authoritative just like scripture did. So they had elevated, see that? And the second thing that, that the Jewish people did, or that he did, was the law. And he says in other places, he says, nobody was obeying the law like I was. I think, want you to think about this here. Here's how most people, this would include James, by the way. Here's how most people, I don't know that for certain, but here's how most people are with their Christianity, their godliness, and so on. I have my life, I have my godliness, I mix the two together, and I come up with something that approximates what seems like about the right idea. 
Every once in a while, you get somebody who says, oh, that seems secretistic. You know what the word means? It means mixing the holy with the unholy. Every once in a while, somebody comes along and says, gee, you know, the way that I'm living in this syncretized place is much less than what the Scripture seems to be telling me to live, and so I need to forget about mixing things, and I need to pursue the things of the Bible. I need to pursue the things of God to their nth degree. That's Paul. Pharisee of Pharisees. Got the tradition of the elders, got what to do with the law. This is what he was doing, head and shoulders, right? Now, he comes along and what he says is, is oh, well, what happened to him was is he got saved. <laughs> now think about that. He was pursuing God with everything that he had, and then he got saved. <laughs> Not because of that, in spite of that. Because what he was doing with that was pers persecuting the Christians. But then all of a sudden, God just strikes him blind and shows him that he's blind. He doesn't really see. See, nice metaphor too, but literally blind. And then when he gets his sight back, he goes and he starts studying to say, what did I miss? That I wouldn't have got who Jesus was, and I would have been persecuting his, the Christians instead of going with them. So what did I miss? And in his studies, there came a point when he was caught up to third heaven 14 years ago. I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And then he says this, dear brothers and sisters, that this is in Galatians where he's talking about this conflict between faith and works and what he's trying to communicate. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. He had been taught, but not the gospel. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. <coughs> now that to me seems like the kind of guy you probably want to learn from. Not the guy who's got it kind of syncretized, but the guy who got it straight from the horse's mouth, right? Now, if you had to take everything that Paul got, the, the best is there one word that's, that just sums up what Paul got? You're so good. It's grace. And think about what grace was for Paul versus what it is for us. Because we grew up in grace. But Paul grew up in law. So when he suddenly found grace, which is, how do you, how do you properly define grace? Oftentimes it's unmerited favor from God. That's not actually as true as it needs to be. It's unmerited love. You didn't deserve it. And he just loves you. Crazy about you. Thank you very much. He just loves you despite who you are. <laughs> no matter who you are. He's crazy about you. Unmerited love. That's what grace is. And all sorts of stuff flows out of that. And that's the message that Paul got. And isn't he the most perfect messenger you could ever get? Because he's the one that pursued the law to the nth degree. And then all of a sudden, God showed him something totally different. Love. Just love. Is the typical Jewish person processing their Judaism, their Jewishness, their religion, in terms of love? They're not, are they? They know God loves them, but he's also ticked because they're such screw-ups. So I got to do better 
so that I can be worthy of his love. So there's love in it, but it's become incredibly syncretized in their own hearts so that God himself is not just love. He's also ticked. You see it? And you're the reason why. Now just think about your relationship with God and how it feels right then. And then all of a sudden, Paul finds out something. Unmerited favor. Unmerited love. And this is how he says it when he's arguing with James. When Peter first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Jews and Gentiles do not eat together. Gentiles are pigs. Jews are not. You don't eat together. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. In fact, just so that you understand how strongly Paul feels about this, it's very important. This is not a small thing to Paul. This issue between faith and, and grace. And faith and works, excuse me. Here's how he says it in chapter 5. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Now, let me say that's the euphemistic way. That, I, did, I picked the translation that had the biggest euphemism in it because that's not what he said. Okay, he said, I wish those people that want to cut, they'd cut. Okay, all right, so, sorry. But now watch this. In Romans, watch him make the argument now that James is refuting in James. Before they were born, this is um, the Jacob and Esau. Before they were born, before they'd done, listen to this, anything good or bad, the mom received a message from God. The message shows that God chooses people according to his purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. If he calls people according to their good or bad works, there might be one person saved in here. And then you'd get prideful, and then you wouldn't be there. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of Scripture, now listen to this. God says, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau before they'd done anything good or bad. In fact, the word right there is, again, the euphemism, it's hated. I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Wow. Before they'd done anything good or bad. What the heck? He goes on. I know what enthusiasm these people from James and people like James, these people who do religious stuff, that's the Christians too, that they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way instead of getting right with God by trying, uh, by their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all believe in him are made right with God. Moses writes, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. Really big. Hold on to that. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach, which now I'm going to read these words to you, but please, I need you to be right now a first century Jewish person. 
In fact, I'm not even going to let you read it for just a second. If you're a first century Jewish person. Here's what the truth is about your existence, your context right now. 1,500 years ago, God gave the law to slaves as he was delivering them from their bondage. The people never really lived up to that and fell away to the point that the 10 northern tribes of Israel were wiped out never to be seen again. The two southern tribes of, Ju of, of Judah did also did not really pay attention to it. Remember Eric's sermon where they found the scripture in the wall. They didn't even have the word anymore. And they were the Jewish nation. They didn't even have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible or nor, nor the prophets apparently. They found it. And then they were exiled, but then God miraculously brought them back. And here's the whole key to the Babylonian exile. Always remember this. When they came back for the first time ever in their whole history, they started trying to obey the law. They understood how important the law was. Now this happens 500, almost years before Jesus. So for 600 years, you as a Jewish nation, as a Jewish person, the way that you process your nationhood, your personhood, your own religion is in the context of the law. That's it, obeying the law. That's what we didn't do. That's why we got exiled. That's why we're okay now. And we're not doing it great, so we're under, under tutelage, but God's going to deliver us because we're living up to the law better and better and better. That's how we get free from the Roman oppression. See it? So now listen to these words with those ears of what Paul says, because these are fighting words. To us, we've heard them from the very beginning. To them, this couldn't be more radically new. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No, you will not. You still have to be circumcised. You still can't eat meat, but blood and meat. You still have to eat the right kind of meat. You still, all of this. It is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Hear this heart thing coming up all the time? It is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. James, James just told us, just saying that you love God doesn't mean anything unless there's something else. And then he goes on to say, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced, Jew and Gentile. What are you talking about, Gentile? <laughs> when did they get in the picture? They're the same. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No, 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 this is wrong, 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 wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> And it's what James is arguing. Now, he's not arguing that strongly. He understands that the Gentiles, God's doing something. He doesn't understand it. But he's still telling them, don't eat with them. <laughs> you see it? Syncretized. Syncretized. Something true and then something else. Mixed in. Causing a problem. Understand something. This is in the Bible, the New Testament. This is happening within a couple of decades of Jesus' death. This is the argument that's being played out. You do understand the argument didn't end there. You do understand that the church became the Catholic church, meaning all one, and the church went with James. <laughs> the Catholic church started saying, yeah, James has got a point, you know. Man, if you're not doing works, so it's faith and works, syncretized.
Faith and works. Until this guy, Martin Luther, did exactly the same thing that Paul did. And that was, he wasn't okay with syncretized. He wasn't okay with mishmash. He was going, you know what? The word says this. I need to do that. I'm going to do that. And he started doing that with everything that he had. And here's what he found, just like Paul did. The, the more that I do these things, the further from God I end up being somehow. Somehow it ends up being me, not him. What the heck? Do you see it? Martin Luther then, reading the verses that we just read, growing up in a culture that was very James, says, oh, Paul and James were having an argument. He even went so far as to say, James doesn't belong in the Bible. Because <laughs> he doesn't get it. I think James does belong in the Bible. I just think he needs to be put in context, which God made clear the context. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to get this. You just have to read the words. They're having an argument, and one person wins. That's the one who got the revelation from God. And so Martin Luther nails up his 95 theses onto that wall, and everybody, and now we still have the split, and even to today, we have this exact split. There's lots of things that can divide. There's lots of things, by the way, I have so many Catholic friends that love Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we, I am confident that we are one in the Spirit, in God, and the whole nine yards. But you do have to understand that there is still an issue and the issue, the biggest part of the issue, it's not Mariology, even though that's part of it. Think about what Mariology is. Think about this. This is, this is where the corruption is, right here. Think about what Mariology is and why it has to be. Because God's ticked. Because you're a scum. And you can't approach him. Now, you would think that you would say, well, the Father is ticked, but Jesus who came to be with me is the relational one. So you would think that the Catholic Church would be all about Jesus. Jesus is the one that I can say, hell, Jesus is to, and do the beads and do everything. You would think that would be true, wouldn't it? But the problem is, is Jesus is God, so he must be ticked too. So who does any son listen to? Now, where's this? <laughs> is this the most man-made thing you can imagine or What? So it's Mary that we pray to because it's Mary that understands our failings, who can have a heart for us. God's just ticked. He loves us, but he's mad. Even Jesus. <laughs> you see it? You see what we do? You see why this was a big deal to Martin Luther and Paul? They were saying, you can't get that thing, that basic thing wrong. If you get that basic thing wrong, it starts spinning up and infects everything above it, and it screws you up. It takes you away from God. You don't end up close, and you don't end up one. You end up separated. The thing that Martin Luther and Paul found was love. Love. They didn't just find love. They found out that God is love. Is there an issue with your sin? Absolutely. Jesus had to die for it. But is that what he is? No. He just loves you. He is love. He's crazy about you. <laughs> That's what they found. All this stuff that I do, it taught me how bad I am 
which teaches me how much more I need him who loves me and does everything for me that I need done. Now, that sounds great, good Christianese right there, but how do you walk it out? We're still in the tension between how do you actually walk this out? Let me just show you something right here. Let me, so just one last illustration before we get to the heart of it. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the wedding thing, right? You know, right? Okay, love is all those things. Now, now let, me, let, me just, let me just get, let's get the wording right. Let's get the concept right. Is, is love patient? Does is mean is in essence, or does it mean manifests itself as? See, love truly is patient. But does that mean that patience is love? All the mathematicians in here, all the programmers in here, right? There's a set and then, a, right? It goes one direction, but not the other direction. You can say that love is patient, but you can't say that patience is love. Do you see it? All of those things turn out to be sneezes. Symptoms. You can tell a person is loving if they're patient and kind and don't envy and are not boastful, not conceited, and they do all these things. See that? So we have to ask ourselves a question then. What's the essence of love? What's the wind, the thing that you can't, it's hard to, because we only see it in its manifestation, but what's the thing itself? Not the symptom manifestation. What's the thing itself? What is it? It turns out I think I have an answer, which I couldn't have given you 10 days ago. Is that, no, 13 days ago now. That's Piper. That's my granddaughter. Oh my God, it's hard to even look at that. And I realize that this is, means a lot more to me than it does you, but anybody should be, you know what I mean? But for me, this is like, this is the most unbelievable thing. Okay, Jean Curtin, God bless you so much. We were having a little conversation right before I left, and she has grandkids, and she said, are you excited about your grandkids yet? And the way that I answered, it wasn't that I was struggling or having a problem or anything, so don't misunderstand. But the way that I answered, I, I did answer truthfully, and I said, it's kind of a nothing for me right now. And I know that part of that is because there's a lot of work going on. But also, the other part of it is, is I just have no frame of reference about what this thing actually is. I've never had a grandchild before. I don't know what this means. And so I have nothing to sort of relate to that would make me excited. Do you see it? And so I was just, I was just expressing that. And she said the coolest thing. She said, because I wasn't concerned, but she knew. But there was a little part of it was like, is there something wrong with me? Why am I not more excited about this? You're supposed to be excited about a grandkid. And I was very excited, but you understand, it was like the feelings weren't there. Not yet. And so what happened was he said, oh, don't worry. As soon as you put that baby in your arms, it's going to come on you like that. Now, I want to say she was absolutely correct, only it happened even before that. This is the first picture of Piper that I saw. I was in the waiting room. Julie, Tyler, doctors, Chappelle, of course, they were all in the labor room, right? 
And so they were experiencing all of this. And I'm just sitting out there wondering what's going on. I'm thinking it's going to be another couple of hours. And all of a sudden, I get this text. And as soon as I looked at that text, I went, I get it. <laughs> oh, I understand. <laughs> it's like, I was blind and now I see. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, that's the coolest picture I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that's the most wonderful thing. That is like in the, the tears, I want to go beat that guy up. You know, you know, just, <laughs> right? I mean, the minute I saw that picture, I went, I get it. <laughs> Thank you, God. Now, I just want to show you something about that particular experience that I think is going to help us understand something about how God loves us. Because I want to say something. See, I've fallen in love in, in a categorical fashion, three different times in my life. The first one was, is when I met this hottie named Julie. Okay, and I dated other girls, and I, you know, I, but, but when I met Julie, I fell in love. Okay, I mean, I was in a hardcore pursuit. Okay, you, you just, yeah, I, I, if anybody has a problem with romanticism, you need to come talk to me. Because I'm telling you, I pursued that poor girl. Okay. It didn't matter if she was going to love me or not. I was going to, she was going to end up loving me because of what I was doing, okay? I mean, I, I hate horseback riding. The first thing I did, literally the day after I met her, I scheduled a horseback riding. You know, I don't care about horses. But, you know, I was on a horse. And that was just the beginning of a long courtship, a long pursuit, a long persistent obsessive. No, all right. <laughs> Because I was in love. And, and no offense to either of us when I say this, but we were young and dumb. And what I mean by that is we were ignorant. The love that we had, we had so much fun. Honestly, I don't know that I've ever met any couple in my life that ever had more fun than Julie and I did. We just had a blast together. And I'm sure other people think the same way, but I can just tell you that's how I think. And we just had so much fun together. It was just awesome, and it lasted for a very long time until it didn't anymore. And then, as I've said, there comes a time when there's two people that are supposed to be one, but there's still two people. And there's this process that goes through about death to self and just lots of death and lots of hardship and lots of things, and it happened more than once. And it, went, it happened, and it happened, and it happened, and it happened. And as I've said, this was all very, very, very difficult to the point that there were many times that both of us thought about why continue this. But thanks to God's grace, thanks to the just, you know, and I'm not saying anything to anybody who didn't make it through this. I'm just talking about my experience right now. But what I'm telling you is, is that we persevered. And I'm not saying if you would have persevered, you would have. So don't read, okay? Just hear. What I'm telling you is my experience was is that we went through some very, very deep valleys of the shadow of death to come out on the other side to a table that had been prepared for us where the things that were once enemies now could not touch us and our heads were anointed with oil and our cup was overflowing. And the love that we found after that is so much richer, and that's the right word, richer. It's so much deeper. It's so much more wonderful. It's so much more full. It's so much more, it's not ignorance and innocence anymore. It's full on. It's not the garden when you're walking and you don't know what it is to eat the tree. It's having eaten the tree and then getting through that. 
And it's coming out the other side in love with one another that makes the first kind of love, frankly, even though it was wonderful and I'm so thankful for it, but it makes it seem superficial and silly compared to the depths of the love that I have for that woman and that she has for me now. It's just more and it's better. But there is baggage. There is pain still in us from that. There is still stuff. We love each other. We're crazy about each other. But, you know, it's not just nothing but love. It's love that has some baggage shoved up into some corners that lingers in a way that I wish wasn't there. Right? So that's how love works in a relationship. There's an ignorance, innocence, and it goes to a wisdom depth. Now, in the same way, when I had our kids, by the way, our marriage had not gone through all of this. We had our kids six, seven years after we were together. And, and this is Shalom on the left and Chappelle on the right. And if you guys are watching, I love you guys. But this is just such a darling picture of them. And, and I'm telling you, when I had them, it was right back to innocence again, right? But I, mean, I hadn't left innocence yet. It was just holding this baby and, oh, my God, life is so wonderful and it's so incredible. And they would fall asleep on my shoulder. I would think there's nowhere else in all the universe that I'm supposed to be right now and nothing else I'm supposed to be doing but just paying attention to this baby. I hate cell phones because now I can look at my cell phone while I'm holding Piper, and I hate that because it robs me from just that moment, just the two of us, nothing but the two of us, Right? But then, just like with the marriage, kids have to separate from the parents. They have to. And that separation is a tearing, and a tearing is not pleasant. But they have to become their own person. You have to let them do it, and it hurts. And they have to do it, and it sucks. But the fact is, is it has to happen in order that they become their own person, for real. And now, I have a love for my kids that I would never trade back for the baby on the, I wouldn't. Because I respect them so much, I watch what they're doing, I'm so proud of them, I'm just so happy for them, all of this. You see it all good, right? But as they were growing up and as Julie and I were growing up, all this other stuff happened. Right? That took us to that place where there's that baggage. So here's what's different about when I first saw Piper. See, when I first met Julie, and when I first met my kids, I was dumb, ignorant. I didn't understand everything that was going to come. I didn't have wisdom. Right? But when I meet Piper, I know all that. And in the middle of all of that, good and bad, comes new life. It's just, watch, she almost gets kind of a grin here now when she pulls it down to watch. She's not supposed to smile, but she's precocious, so she's ahead of other babies. Okay. You see it? You see it right there? You see the little eyes, the little, the, she's getting it, right? She's starting to understand that there's this smile thing that makes her feel good. And then she goes back into the, 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 the thing that I, we see a lot and, and that I just, 
look at, now she starts to get a little concerned. See what's going on, and the bow furls up a little bit. Oh, God, I'm just captured. <laughs> right? The difference between what happened to me when I had Piper was is that I knew all this other stuff. And that new life wiped it away. I didn't lose my wisdom. I just, it just wasn't important. It's not ignorance and innocence. I get it. I get what's going to happen. But it doesn't matter. Because it's first love. New life. The most awesome. I want you to see how God loves us. Watch what he says. I have this against you. You've left your first love. That's what we do. Because things happen. Right? We mess up. Baggage gets accumulated. And you, you, know, you lose your first love. You have another kind of love. But you've lost your first love. What if you could have all the wisdom from that, but never lose, but always have that? God stands outside of time. His experience of us is always first love. Watch. Here's how he says it. He's removed our sins as far as east is from west. He's trying to communicate to us, when I look at you, I'm not ignorant of what's going to happen. I don't care. I'm in love. See it? Once again, I'll have compassion. You'll have compassion on us. You'll trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. In fact, listen to this and how he expresses this. He says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Do you see it? I wipe them. I take them east and west and down into the sea. I wipe them from me because I'm holding my love. I'm holding this first love at every moment in every single way. I see you at all times in every way but with nothing but first love. The stuff you do under the blood, the baggage you've collected, I wiped out, paid for, shipped it away. You need to see yourself and how I see you the way that I see you, which is first love, right? No baggage. One more level, just about done. One more level. It's not just getting rid of the baggage. It's that when I'm holding Piper in my arms... I don't think about myself anymore. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. You don't think about yourself at all. There's no thought about you whatsoever. If that, if that kid needed anything, I'm in. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter what it costs me. Who cares about me? You see it? I'm emptied. I'm smitten. I'm st my heart is stolen. I couldn't possibly not give that child every and anything, right? Isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Despising the shame, didn't care about what it meant to him. 
Didn't care about the emptying of his godly attributes. Why? Because he's crazy about you. Overflowingly, wondrously, first love every single nanosecond about you. Does stuff happen? Sure. What's he do with it? Wipes it out. Keeps first love every moment, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. First love. See, what's being said is, is we love because he first loved us. The way that we're supposed to love is the way that he loves us. It's not the way we've learned how to in our syncretized, baggaged way. We need to understand that he keeps coming back to this. All of that is over there, behind him. You're filling his gaze. We know how much God loves us, and so we put our trust in his love. Does that verse mean more to you right now? We know that he sees me as first love. And so that's how I'm loving him back. First love. I don't have to worry about all that. I can get rid of all that. I put all that out. (laughs) I recognize what Jesus did for me. And I own it. I stand in the truth of what Jesus did in eradicating all of that so that I too might be in a place of first love for him. Not this worn out, I didn't quite do all of the things, I didn't not do something, I did something I was supposed to do, I, you know, not this kind of, you know, just, yeah. Right? Isn't this what he's saying when he says, I am convinced that nothing, this is what Paul figured out, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation, including ourselves, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Here's what, here's what I think God is trying to say to us today. First love. <laughs> First love is what I have for you, and I want you to soak in it and just reflect it. Reflect it back to me. Reflect it to others. First love. First love. First love. Let's let that be our banner throughout the whole of this fall, throughout the rest of our lives. Let that be the banner in our, love, in our lives, that we would be people of first love. First love, not ignorant, first love, okay? Full, overflowing, what's important. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for communicating a tough thing, a deep thing, an ephemeral thing. Thank you for communicating in a way that it feels like it went down into people's hearts and that we get, and that, that is new life in us. It is a new river of living water in us. It's a new way of appreciating how you see us. It's a new way of then being able to see you back, of being able to live in you back. God, let all the things that we do ever only come from first love. The things that we just naturally do because we're in love. In Jesus' holy and precious name, let the whole of our lives be nothing but first love. Thank you, Jesus. Would you...
please reach down in front of you and grab these two cups. In the lower cup is this, is this life that we've led where we've let it get soiled, let it get syncretized, let it get muddied up, soiled. And we just know the death that comes with that. And so we take our finger and we put it in there and we, we just, we recognize that it's happened, but we kind of, when we put our finger and crack it this time, we're putting death to it. We're saying, I recognize now what has happened and I recognize the deeper truth of what Jesus really is on the cross. Wow. Wowsville and wow. <laughs> and so in Jesus' holy and precious name, I take what Jesus did for me to make me whole, to heal me, to reconcile me. And we take this together. And as we do, if you have never received him, this is your moment. Take this bread to become one with him and what he has done to heal you, to restore you, to connect you back to new life that you might experience God's first love for you. So in Jesus' name, take this cup together. We believe in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we lift up this cup in which is the life that you have, the new life, the precious life. We've already given away the old one and we take up the new one and we ask you, God, we still syncretize all the time with the old one and we're asking you to cleanse us from that, would you please? By your power, by your grace, would you teach us how to live from a living water wellspring of love, of first love, so that everything we do is just pleasing to you? Not because it earns us anything or not because it gets us anywhere, but just as a byproduct, a sneeze from the wonderful, wonderful thing that is you. Take together and receive first love. <laughs> 